I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 22, Jesse Ramsey, Pet Sitter. I just realized that there's a comma in the middle of that title. I could also work with a colon. It's a weird title. Or like a dash. Um, a dash. Oh, wow. Or an M, an M dash or an N dash or just a regular dash. M dash. I love an M dash. Personally. I use them a lot. <laughs> Um, so we're also recording this episode on, I don't even, I genuinely Saturday. do not know what date it is. Saturday, <laughs> November 7th, 2020. Yeah. Well, we've been not sleeping and not doing anything but paying attention to election results for five days now. So disclaimer that that's where we're at and also weirdly timed given that this book deals with uh, a sort of impromptu um, babysitter's club election drama yeah. very <laughs> weird yeah so we only found out i guess about two hours ago now that um former vice president joe biden and senator kamala harris will now be our new leaders here in the united states we've already gotten several congratulations from some of our listeners overseas on instagram so we are also happy um, and glad that more, many people in other places are mm -hmm. happy still lots of work to do um and better than fascism. So that's that's where we're landing, I think. Is that a good summary? Yeah, yes, that's a great summary. And, at, yeah. you know, what do you guys, if Joe and, and Kamala were BSC, Ooh. who would they be? Oh, that's really good. Okay, well, Joe is obviously Logan. <laughs> Ouch. You're right, aren't you? I oh. am. No, okay, so next week in my oh. Women in the Law class, I'm teaching the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings and the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Oof, and God. Biden led the Anita Hill um, yeah. testimony part of that. And it's it's a little bit like Logan 1980s gaslighty, I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Hopes for um, leaps and bounds since those years but <laughs> yeah yeah emily's crossing her fingers oh my gosh you're right and yeah and seems seems like folksy and harmless at first and then kind of like has some insidious woman problems yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, like rough like look Mar i like marianne for now until i see something better that comes along <laughs> I think he's done nothing but a devoted husband and father, though. No, I no, that was like a biggest. a political euphemism. Oh, like, I like this okay. political maneuver yeah. for now until something better comes yeah. along. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Okay, what about Kamala Harris, my our our home senator? All three of our home home senators, even though Emily's not here right now. Um, I mean, a Don. Yeah, well, she's from California, <laughs> and she's cool. She mm -hmm. seems like a total individual to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that Don would have a career as a prosecutor. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So that's a little bit Stacy. 
I feel oh. like. Oh, she could totally be a Stacy. Like, she's like a Don Stacy combo. Like, if Stacy had grown yeah. up in California. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So, her big BSC Big Five is 50% Stacy. <laughs> 50% Don. Don, yeah. Well, and she has to have uh she has to have some Jesse because her family is black. Well, of course. Uh, same yeah. reason that Jeff did. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she's a good dancer, you know, in terms of uh, well, I'll I'll say as far as major party candidates go, she's the best dancer we've seen in a number of years. But is she a ballet dancer? No, but I'm just going with dancing more generally. Mm-hmm. I didn't I, it's a political metaphor, Emily. I don't know. I think you were going for the literal. <laughs> <laughs> the the literalness okay should we get into our one sentence summaries great let's do it okay mine is jesse has to pet sit for an animal hoarder and the members of the bsc rebel against her benevolent dictator amazing wow what a great callback <laughs> <laughs> because it quotes you <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> hello <laughs> Okay, my one sentence summary is a disagreement over the substance of democratic theory and practice among the babysitters leads to Jesse pet sitting a thousand animals. <laughs> okay. Uh, mine is a little similar. Jesse takes care of 10,000 pets while the older girls have an arbitrary fight and don't actually talk about the problem. I think we took different tactics to dissecting yeah. The, yeah. the relationality there among those things. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit different. Yeah. Uh, wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy and I have a big heart. I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. And if you're liking us, rate and review it. If you have any questions, comments, commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Emily, I'm really curious about your thoughts on democracy vis-a-vis Jesse Ramsey, comma, pet sitter. Yeah, I mean, this book is, it was so wild to read it this week. I was, I, I don't know what weird universe things happen to make those things align, but I was like, oh God, there's a fucking election in this book. Are you kidding me? It's <laughs> literally the only thing I've been thinking about for six days. <laughs> um, but it is really interesting. So I was thinking about, we've never, so like every single book discusses the sort of governance structure of the Babysitter's Club insofar as like everyone has an, an office and we describe the office the officers that hold those positions and there is like a justification a personality based justification for like why that person is well suited to that office but there's very little so far there's been very little like discussion around the like rules and procedures of governance mm-hmm. there is just like sort of symbolic office holding and like chores or jobs. And this is the first time we really see um, like some sort of upheaval from the non, from the non, uh, I guess if we're going to go with the benevolent dictator allegory from, from the subjects, (laughs) the dictator Mm -hmm. subjects around like the distribution of work basically amongst Mm -hmm. the club members and like, and so there, there's two things that they get in a fight about. One is like the distribution of work, like who's doing more work. And the other is like who gets to decide what the rules are that regulate like how decisions get made. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which are like actually two different parts of kind of democratic practice that like we don't often talk about, right? Like democratic theorists and sort of like formal political science or political philosophy realms like talk a lot about like what would be the what what are the values that we want to go into the the decision-making process about what the rules are and then like what happens after we decide what the rules are like how do those rules facilitate deci- like decisions being made after the after that so there's like like a meta decision making kind of arena of democratic mm-hmm. practice that's about like what should the rules be that regulate how we make decisions and like the BSC so far has had zero interest in that. It's like Christy has right. great ideas and like everyone has their role to play. Um, but there's this like there's unrest in this book for mm-hmm. the first time, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting. But I thought what was funny is the section where they actually talk about sort of what democracy is, because they've never really before even mm-hmm. floated the idea that the BSC is a democracy mm-hmm. <laughs> or it like made allegories to any sort of formal political structure aside from the names of their offices. Right. Um, but we get a definition from Marianne of all people. Also, did you guys notice that Marianne's kind of like ballsy in this book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's continuing to step up. She's like, Hey bitch, I got something to say about democracy. Yeah. That's a direct <laughs> Is that quote. What she said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's look at page 91. Can I get a volunteer to read? This is how I teach. <laughs> Um, okay, so Christy, they're going to hold an election because they're all pissed about something or other. That Christy does so little work. She's so bossy. Blah, 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 blah. What does she even do as the president? Maybe we should change offices. And then they agree to have an election and there's tension. And then Christy's like, okay, well, I made up how the election's going to go. And then um, she like lays out all the rules, blah, 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 blah. There's stony silence. And then Dawn says from behind her hair, Anything else? Also from behind her hair. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> okay, so let's let's read like the next page. So you want me to be Christy? You want Anne to be Claudia? Or what do you want it to do here? Yeah. Be a little bit more obvious as me. Okay, oh, how about you want Anne? And you be Christy. I'll be Marianne. And, and you I'll be, be Claudia. Okay. Yeah, you be yeah. everything else. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> No, that about covers it. I'll say it does, snapped Claudia. What, what's that supposed to mean? Christy replied. Yeah, I wondered, what is that supposed to mean? Can I answer? Spoke up Marianne. Her voice was wobbling ever so slightly. Be my guest, said Claudia. Marianne drew in a deep breath, probably to control her voice. Christy? She began. Have you ever heard of a democracy? Sensing an argument, Christy replied sarcastically. Why, no, I never have. What is a democracy, Marianne? Very good, Anne. Marianne tried hard to ignore the tone of Christie's voice. In a democracy, she said, everyone has a say. Which is why we're holding elections, Christie interrupted. And why we're all voting in them. I don't believe it, Dawn muttered. She did it again. Christie, would you listen to Marianne, please? asked Claudia. Christie rolled her eyes and she turned her gaze on Marianne and waited. In a democracy, Marianne began again. Everyone has a say in running the country. This club should be a democracy too, Christy, and the members should have a say in running things. In other words, you should have consulted us about the voting, about the ballots, and the way the elections will be run. I mean, I think we could stop there. That's the definition <laughs> of democracy. But I do like when Dawn gets sarcastic. Of course, Dawn has a lot of baggage from her own 
you know, emotional labor. So she's like, of course, Christy's not doing any emotional labor. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, wow. It's so good. What a great fight. Um, <laughs> anyway, this definition of democracy is pretty funny. Is this how you guys would define democracy, Anne and Esme? I mean, I mean, in- maybe like as an eight-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, in the two sentences of a child, I don't think it's terrible. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's a very like rosy-eyed sort of gloss over actual democratic practice, especially given that this was in the 89, correct? Okay, yeah. I want to know what you think Marianne should have said, Emily. Yeah, me too. Well, this is one version of, so I think the version of democracy Marianne has in mind is something like a direct democracy. Right. So they, they're the only people who are affected by the outcomes of the decisions being made are the members of the club. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like the kind of democracy that Marianne is advocating is like a super, super direct democracy, not not a representative democracy. Mm-hmm. Like we hold positions and we have different roles in the club. But like if decisions are made, we all have to be a part in deciding on what those decisions are. Are, which is like not quite how representative democracy works. In fact, like mm-hmm. the only decision we really make as citizens in representative democracy is who gets to make decisions for us. Mm-hmm. And so like what, what she's talking about is a kind of very, a version of democracy that is like hardly practiced in, right. in the West in general, mm-hmm. um, let alone in the United States. I mean, it's like practiced in almost zero contexts here i don't know what you mean not even like this in the election this morning was just totally decided directly by the will of the people i don't it doesn't have to do with you know four thousand people in one county someplace yep that's correct (laughs) we live in a direct democracy electoral college works for me baby i don't know what you're complaining about seems super fair and not at all racist don't even get me started on the electoral college But there's not even that here. I mean, it's like, so far, there's been very little democracy in the BSC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's been friendship, yes. Sure. But not yeah. democracy. I think Anne was correct to call Christy a benevolent dictator. Yeah. You mean you were correct two weeks ago, and Anne was correct to quote you. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't <laughs> recall. <laughs> but it is interesting because I wonder, like, what Anne and Martin was thinking about, okay, like, what do kids need to know about democracy in 1989? Because... 1988, the 1988 election where H.W. was elected had like a historically low turnout rate. Mm-hmm. It was like a like a 50 percent almost mm-hmm. to the to the zero turnout rate. It was historically low at the time. And there were all these like think pieces about um, and this was before even the era of of like broad sort of social public consensus around disenfranchisement and like how race plays in like things that we talk about now right that like the that there's a continuation of sort of Jim Crow with the way that the prison industrial complex disenfranchises black folks disproportionately compared to white people and that kind of thing like people weren't talking about this in the 80s people were still like you know demonizing black poor people for right. being sort of like welfare queens welfare queens and all this other stuff but it was like a historically low turnout yeah. in that election and so like i was trying to think about like sort of what anna martin was trying to teach kids about democracy mm-hmm. <laughs> here and it's interesting because it's like what they learn you know jesse keeps like in her narration of this of this conflict among the babysitters sort of struggling over like how do i vote right like i understand that there's more at stake here than just who's best at the job that like people are dissatisfied with the conditions of their work and like how do i balance 
people's feelings and mm-hmm. like other background contexts against this this like best person for the job kind of narrative. And I think that that's a really interesting sort of insight into a particular way of thinking about democratic politics in the eighties. And like one that, that, and maybe even now, I mean, like there's so much discourse around voter efficacy at all. Right. Like I'm sure, you know, in States that always go blue, you hear this all the time that my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter because of the electoral college system. But then there's like different, different debates around like, what does your vote in what way does your vote matter? And like, what's the best way to vote? And like, can you vote sort of strategically as a way to signal or do you have to always like be committed to what you think the probable outcome is going to be? Right. And so there's all this, I mean, we, you talk about in the democratic primaries this last cycle around like, do you sacrifice ideals for electability, which is Mm -hmm. this like sort of moderate liberal buzzword that like keeps committing us to candidates that are like actually not that radical and who don't like have have much of a vision of change um that they're committed to and i thought i thought like watching jesse struggle between i don't want to upset anyone but like i feel like i need to make the right choice was kind of an interesting allegory for thinking about like the pressures of voting in a representative democracy where you're not actually you don't actually have the kind of efficacy in terms of decision-making that like Marianne's advocating for in terms mm-hmm. of the babysitters club. Um, so I just, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think she's, she's talking here about Christy comes up with, so, so the, the back plot is that everybody's mad at Christy for being too bossy. And then they all start complaining about all of their jobs and how they don't like them. Right. So Marianne's job is too much work and Don doesn't like everybody groaning when they collect dues and Claudia doesn't like answering the calls. So then they decide to have new elections for officers. Also, Um, when they were talking about all being tired of their jobs, I was like, welcome to the real world where where no one likes their jobs. suck. (laughs) Get over it. I can't wait for a book that will let Emily talk about all of the reasons why none of us should work. Um, (laughs) Again, you mean? (laughs) More in more in depth. Um, But yeah, no, it's true. Like your, your job, even if you're well suited to it and you like it is going to get, get upsetting at some point in time. Mm -hmm. So they're doing this, but what Marianne's talking about here in this section is that Christy came up with like a method for the elections and came in and said, this is how we'll do it. So we don't get a bunch of ties. And so, um, and so she's also talking about, I, I guess, really, she's talking about legislation, right? She's not talking about electing leaders. Um, she's talking about, like, sharing the decision-making and and building consensus about procedures and, like, Marianne. how do things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's talking about legislation that writes the rules of how legislation gets made. Right. Which is, yeah. like, the, the meta rule thing that mm-hmm. I was talking about before. It's, like, not – it's not yeah. even just, like – what's the outcome of the decision going to be? And do we all have a say in the outcome of the decision? But like, how, like, do we have a say in how we even get to how we, how we decide the procedure that will facilitate mm-hmm. the decision? But she's, but they're also like, but Jesse's, so that's Marianne's kind of like angle into the democratic, the analysis of like what, how democracy would play out here. But I think Jesse's like struggle over like what should dictate my vote is really, mm-hmm. I don't know, really interesting. Yeah, she talks to her mom about it and talks about how she's having a hard time deciding because she doesn't want to alienate Christy and make Christy mad. Um, I also did. Did it strike either of you like that they decide to have new elections and it's just a given 
that Mallory and Jesse are not running for any of the main offices. It's like, well, you guys will vote, but you'll stay junior officers. And like Mal and Jesse are fine with that too. Like, it's just like a given that they're second class citizens in this way. And Mm -hmm. I I was just curious of everybody's take on that. That's voter suppression. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're letting them vote, but it's, uh, you know, they, they can't actually run for office. Yeah. I mean, it's, they should be able to. Should we start a GoFundMe? Put Mal for secretary and justice for, for Mal and Jesse. <laughs> but I, I'm almost, this is not related to democracy or politics, but I'm also struck by how even in continuing in Jesse and Mal books, Jesse and Mal are, keep getting lumped together as like having a single personality, except for the fact mm-hmm. that Mal is white and Jesse is black. Mm-hmm. Like even Jesse's like, it's important that my family is black. Like this is something that make, makes me really different from Mallory and from the Pikes. But like more than any of the other babysitters, Mallory and I are the same. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. I think that's just Anna Martin getting tired of writing about a lot of different characters and kind of <laughs> being more, being more efficient with her, with her storytelling. Ha. I think it's a, it's a nice proxy for best friendship. That, that um she's able to throw in there but yeah i know we're not we're not still not really able to separate them out for our bsc big five but i'm still struck like what was anna martin trying to teach 13 year olds about democracy i mean was she trying to teach 13 year olds about democracy i don't know did you get that feeling from this chapter Anne? I mean, I, I feel like she was just saying it's important to listen to other people's opinions and feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was trying to teach them validation more than democracy. I don't know. I think you guys are wrong. <laughs> I mean, she did. Marianne did explain democracy. So I don't think that I don't think Anna Martin, there was something purposeful about that word choice. I think it's just because it was an election. She wanted to use that word, though. <laughs> Right, but like to have them work out some interclub tension through an election is, is like an obvious kind of tool to to like think about democratic practice. I think like you could have sure. you can imagine a bunch of different ways that they this that their fight over the distribution of work amongst the club offices resolves, and it need not resolve itself through an election. Mm-hmm. And then there's like this whole aside around like who gets to decide what the rules of the election are and like all this stuff i don't know i thought it was interesting yeah. and, and like that it comes after you know the 88 elections mm-hmm. i don't know well you know we didn't talk about the outcome of the election but we'll tell you guys in four episodes <laughs> what happens good one Anne. <laughs> thanks okay, okay george soros <laughs> God. No, but really, they all everyone gets reelected the same position, right? Unanimously, so, yeah. <laughs> and then they all laugh and have a great time, yeah. So, what really struck? I know some of the other um, fights that they've had in the series so far. You guys have come to our little pre pre recording meeting, like, what the hell are they fighting about? What, like, what? I don't understand. Um, and this one I feel like is the most arbitrary we've seen yet, but I do think there's a couple culprits that um, fan the flames of it that jumped out to me. So I don't have like one huge psychology concept here, but um, similar to a fight in Marianne Saves the Day, there's a lot of judgmental language being thrown around. 
Um, and not just judgments, but also like always and never and nobody um, when they're having in this big club meeting, I think it's in chapter 10, right where we were. Yeah. On page 93, um, right about where we stopped, what Don was going to say sarcastically, which is a line that I wrote down is, you just barge ahead and do whatever seems right to you. You, 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 you never think about what other people might want or feel. And Jesse very wisely says, it's not a good idea to make absolute statements like that. You never, no one does, everybody does. I have learned this the hard way. If I say to my mother, but mama, everyone is wearing them. She'll reply to everyone, your grandfather, squirt, you know, that sort of thing. So that's sort of one reason not to make absolutes. But another reason is that they're almost never true, right? right. It's not that Christy never thinks about anybody else. We, we definitely have a lot of evidence to the contrary. And they amplify our emotions. So anytime we make judgments of never, nothing, always, should, or like horrible, super bossy, whatever, they increase the emotion that's happening in that particular moment and in that conversation. And mm. we see that really consistently with the girls when they fight, they just like pour gas on the fire, like right away. <laughs> like one person says one thing that's like a little snarky and then they light it up. Um, and I think that that really contributes to them then not really knowing what the problem is, mm. because I don't think the problem was in fact that everyone was fully tired of their jobs. That's obvious that that wasn't the problem because they all voted for themselves for the right. same jobs. Right. So they even thought they should continue in those. Um, but the problem was that they needed to talk about the fact that the the outcome was that Chrissy was being bossier, partly because Charlie was being bossier and kind of pushing the whole family around. And that was stressing her out. And we have a few we have some more good Christy apologies in this book. But they, you know, rather than just talk to her, they turned it around on themselves and said, well, you know, I don't like this either. And my job's much harder than yours instead of just saying, why are you acting like this? Like, what, what's, what's going on here? So I think we see, again, the ways that, that judgments and, and absolutes sort of fan the flames of arguments. Is that something that you two feel like you see in your relationships? Oh, uh, no. And saying that with, like, shifty eyes side to side. Wow. <laughs> because you're so, like, um, just zen and non-judgmental that it doesn't come up. I mean, I think that I definitely do that. I think, but isn't that, doesn't everyone do that though? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a very normal thing. And it's helpful when you know that something's really important, that you have to um, deal with an important issue with somebody to slow down and get to a place where you can be descriptive and be non-judgmental before you address it. And so mm -hmm. that's some of the classic things of just using I statements, talking about your own feelings, not talking about the other person's feelings and actions and explaining what the impact is on you. So, so, when, than, so when Don says, you, 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 that's wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not helpful, probably. And Not you see helpful. how it, like, it, it breaks them further apart and they don't actually get to the root of the problem, right? They're not actually talking about the things that they're upset about. So what was it that, what was it that like made everyone so mad at Christy? Was it when she had the, like the notebook stuff? Was it the chart? Yeah. It started okay. with the notebook and her making a chart that everybody could check off each week 
when they read the notebook so that she mm-hmm. could stop asking them about it and she would see that they read it. Right. So I'm just curious, would that make either of you angry? It's like a little annoying. No, I, that's the kind of thing where I'd be like, great, I have a box to check so that I, I can give myself a little reinforcement for having read the notebook. Right. I mean, I, I can admit that would be something that would really annoy me Yeah. if that happened to me in uh, my, my work environment or something. Yeah. I mean, we'll just check the box. Yeah. Neither do yeah, I. I'm not surprised by these answers. <laughs> also, stop asking me. <laughs> but I know, you know, someone who leads a team at my work, like I know exactly who on my team would be cool with checking the box and who would be annoyed that I was asking them to check a box. Like, I think it's, I think it is, um, you know, there's some temperament personality issues there. And so that's why you have to figure out like, who, like, what's the purpose of it? And actually, do you need to be doing it at all? And that's one of the things with Christy's apology, that's how it ends up. And Christy actually not only does an apology, but she does this thing um, that in dialectical behavior therapy, the type of therapy we do, we call a correction over correction. So she acknowledges that she has caused harm in this way. A, that like Charlie was stressing her out and, you know, Jackie Rodowski pointed out to her that she was being really bossy and that got her sort of self-reflecting and thinking about it since Jackie wasn't being so judgmental and mad at her so she could actually hear the feedback from Jackie. So she realized she'd been reacting like this in various places in life. That when she gets under stress, she gets bossier. Um, and then she realized that specifically the notebook stuff was really upsetting to everybody. And so then she made this pledge to not ask them about it anymore and not have the chart. And then she she brings the new chart and pins it up and then takes it down and rips it up to show that she's really not going to do this anymore. So dramatic. I think it's dramatic, but it was also like to highlight, like, I get it. It was, it was self-mocking too, right? It was um, sort of self-effacing. Like I heard you guys, um, this was messed up and I won't do it again. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I do, I do appreciate. And I think we continue to see Christy kind of taking her medicine and making sure that She's being humble about things. Oh, benevolent dictator. Yeah, very benevolent. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I did. There wasn't a lot of other psychology for me in this book. I I do think it's developmentally accurate that kids often have sort of dumb fights like this. But I think they're they're also doing a thing with the new election, which is like jumping to a solution before you actually assess the problem. Like, mm. if they actually assessed the problem and talked about it more thoroughly, they wouldn't have needed to hold this silly sham election that, like, caused more arguments and caused a bunch of stress for Mal and Jesse as they, like, ruminated over who they should vote for. Because if they had actually talked to each other, they would have seen that that was not actually what the problem was. Mm-hmm. What's up with 13-year-olds being afraid of snakes but children not being? That's interesting. What, I mean, I have, some, I, know why. I have some thoughts. Go ahead. I know why. <laughs> a snake is a penis. <laughs> you know, because a penis is kind of that shape-ish. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah. Um, so I have another theory. <laughs> Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear mine or you want to go with Anne's? Is it about penises? <laughs> no. I guess I'll hear it. <laughs> um, I think that 
it, it has to do with like um, feminine socialization um, and them like being teenagers and being a little older. And, you know, kids are just interested in all animals and kind of thinks they're they're think they are cool. Um, and then it becomes a thing to think that like snakes and creepy crawlies are gross or scary and penises a little older, mm-hmm. <sighs> especially penises that move like a snake. Oh, and you Meji Ichikawa. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why. Okay. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Especially because Marianne's the one who like freaks out the most. Right. What does that say about Logan? I think it's more about Mr. Spears, like, you know, attempt to replace his wife with his daughter. <laughs> god damn it you guys (laughs) Uh, no i i meant i just meant his his like prior commitment to like a very rigid sort of structure for girlhood is what i meant. absolutely yeah i think that makes total sense can we talk about how many animals they have in this house they have so many animals. okay it's three dogs five cats birds hamsters two guinea pigs a snake fish a bunch of rabbits and turtles <laughs> so not sure quite how much is a bunch but i feel like that's at least four they name the rabbits so yeah it's not just a bunch like it's, we do get to the I rabbits remember names one of them is fluffernut cindy toto and robert okay so four four yeah um it's so many animals i don't want to live so in that house animals yeah I was thinking about Jessie's allergies, if she has any. Well, I think she doesn't. I think we would have heard in this book. Like, Jessie Ramsey, anaphylaxis haver, like, would have been the title, probably. Yeah, can we talk about the hamster subplot? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Like, from the beginning of the book, it's like, and there's this hamster who's just in the corner, facing the corner. Huh, that's weird. And I'm like, okay, first, the hamster could be dying, and you didn't do anything about it. That's what I thought. I was like, the first time she mentioned that, I was like, is it dead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it's pregnant, mm-hmm. and it and it has 10 baby hamsters. Anne looks so Why are you making that face? Because <laughs> when they describe them, it's like, they're like little pink jelly beans. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I don't like <laughs> a lot of, I don't like little things altogether. Oh, yeah. Anne has trypophobia. She really hates, like, lots of little things in a cluster. Yeah. But, but it don't you... It her out. What about candy? That's a good question. Oh, like nerds? Yeah. Or, like, most candy <laughs> is, like, a lot of little things in a cluster. <laughs> well, like, Skittles, nerds, M&Ms. I see your point. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I've never asked you that, Anne. Anne's had this like phobia disgust reaction to lots of little things for like 25 years. I think it's specific to like nature and like mm. like natural things. She doesn't um, like naturally occurring little things in a Not cup. sugar things you can eat. Right. Yeah, like like grains of sugar. That's okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, is Anne crying? Yeah, are you crying? I am crying. crying. (laughs) It's a weird day. 
First time I've cried on this podcast. Yeah, I feel like some <laughs> someday we're gonna have to make "Are You Crying" T-shirts. Um, I was like, yeah, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you don't like like you don't like like fish eggs Mm-mm. like all next to each other or like. What about or like, like red like pepper that. flakes on a piece of pizza? Oh, those are kind of spread out though. Not unless you like a lot of them. <laughs> I'm thinking like a cluster. <laughs> It's like a cluster of things that are like slightly alive or like yeah. moving mm. in an upsetting way. Like, do you, <laughs> but you like plants. Like some plants have like clusters of live things. Oh, I don't. I, I know what you're. I know what you're talking about. I don't like those plants. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm learning so I much like, about you, Anne. <laughs> yeah. So I Anne like was disgusted by the miracle of life from. Uh, <laughs> What was the hamster's actual name? Jesse was calling him Misty, but it was like Snicklefritz. Um, it's Snicklefritz. So you remembered wife. something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, they have a parrot, a bird, mm-hmm. who who can talk and mimics mm-hmm. things. And what's the it's what's his name? It's a uh, Frank. It's, yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. Frank. So Frank likes to say like ad slogans because. Probably the TV is on all the time, and he hears. Koozies were like he used to watch a lot of TV at his former home. They were very clear. They They were super judgmental. Yeah, Yeah. nothing wrong with TV. Um, Not according to the Mick Whatevers. Man, (laughs) Koozie. Mick Whatevers. Wow. Okay, so I thought we'd play a little game. Ooh, yay! I'll I'll say the slogan, and then you guys tell me tell me what it's associated with. Okay, first we'll go with tiny little tea leaves. I have no idea. Okay, is do, I know it, but do we want Emily to guess before yes. I say? Well, I mean, this one's pretty obvious. I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, obvious to who? <laughs> Well, okay, you might not know the brand, but it's for a product that is tea. Ding ding Good ding. Good job. Yeah. Lipton tea. Says <laughs> <laughs> so all those tiny little tea leaves in Tetley tea, right? I don't know what Tetley tea is. I only know it from that commercial. Mm-hmm. I'm about to get pissed playing this game. <laughs> okay, here's the next one is the quicker picker upper. Oh, bounty. I know that one. Oh, oh there you go. Good yep. job. Bounty. Okay, the next one, long distance. This is the next best thing to being there. I don't know. I am not sure about this one. I'm trying to think of the different um, long distance providers back when we cared about long distance. I used to, I used to in like college, I was like the long distance bargain shopper. I was, I switched my long distance plan all the time. What? I did not know that's about you. Oh yeah, like every three months, I switched my long distance plan so I would get more free long distance because I talked on the phone so much. Yeah, I'm not sure who that was. I don't think it was MCI. Mm-hmm. Um, think older. Yeah. Like more like legacy brand. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But it's like, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. it's like Ma Bell or Pac Bell or whatever, but I'm not sure. It's Bell. Bell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Oh, so you did know it. I did know it. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't MCI. Okay. The next one. Two, two, two months and one. I don't even know if these exist anymore. Do they? I don't think they do. Is it certs? Yes, it's certs. Yeah. I ate a lot of certs as a kid. What's a cert? 
Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a lifesaver, but the the middle was filled with like a different kind of mint. So it was so two, two, two mints in one. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Please don't send me those. <laughs> Did you ever send Anne whatever marshmallow thing she wanted oh Malamars. Malamars. no yeah. not yet i did wow. send her another present this week but i didn't send oh yeah <laughs> another mic condom no <laughs> no our sound's been I, I hope our sound's been good the past few weeks drop us a review about our good sound yeah okay and then i saved the best one for last where's the beef i don't know this one how old is it it's really old. It's from like 1983. It's from before you were born. Um, I remember the Where's the Beef Lady, but I don't actually, I'm not actually 100% sure. Is it Arby's? No, but ki- kind of close. I feel like they yeah. had a similar commercial. Okay. I yeah, it is a fast food, but I can't remember which it was. Was it Burger King? No. I don't remember. It's uh, Give Up. Carl's mm-hmm. Jr.? No. I give but up. if you keep on naming things, it'll get there. Yeah. No, what is it? It's Wendy's. Wendy's. Right. So Where there's the beef. Yeah. So there's some good tidbits about about this ad. Um, mm-hmm. It was in a response to the Whopper and the Big Mac mm-hmm. because they had really big buns, mm-hmm. but not a lot of meat inside. So Wendy's kind of angle was to call that out. So they had this old, these old women and like, they would like get the, get like a big burger that looked like a Big Mac and then open it and be like a tiny little beef patty like, inside. Like comically tiny, like this, like, like really tiny in the center of the bun. Yeah. So it was right. a smear campaign. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then but, they would say, where's the beef? Yeah. Emily, I don't know if we can make you understand how big this commercial was. Oh, I'm like, going to try to explain it a little bit. Okay, go uh, ahead. You know, interestingly, that the director of the commercial, at first it was, they casted a young couple. Mm. And he was like, this isn't funny. So they switched it to like old women. Nice. Um, but it became this huge phenomenon. There was even a, um, like a game, a, a Milton Bradley game. It was like, <laughs> There were like frisbees and like t-shirts and like bumper stickers. Um, I'm sorry. Can you go back to the game? Well, I know. I'm going to have to do more research on that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know what that might be. I'm guessing it's a board game. But you like have to find the patty or what? <laughs> Can we get our internet assistant <laughs> on this one? Yeah. On it. On it. Go ahead, Anne. Um, and this is what's kind of funny is that it was – the phrase became associated with the 1984 presidential election. Um, in the primaries, when uh, uh, Vice President Mondale was um, up against Senator Gary Hart, um, Mondale used the phrase, um, he said, when I hear your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad, where's the beef? And it was like, he said it in debates. I'm and sorry. Then, so you're trying to tell me this book is not about democracy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this, you know, honestly, when I read that, I was like, oh, this was probably in Anna Martin's mind. Yeah. With all so I found, I found the game. 
It's um the front cover is illustrated by a Mad Magazine caricaturist, and it shows the original actress Clara Peller holding up the giant bun with the tiny patty, saying, "Where's the beef? The fast food raced game." And players must move across the restaurant-themed game board searching for the coveted beef tiles. The first to find all four tiles wins the game and can happily claim they have found the beef. Right. That's interesting. Doesn't seem very fun. So One of us is going to get that for Christmas, Anne. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, and then part was like when he had proof of like this is these are my policies and they're really good he'd say here's the beef so this was like a pretty big like cultural phenomenon people say it all the time yeah and not only is there like a political aspect to this so during the 2020 this year pandemic when stores were experiencing a shortage of beef Wendy's revived this ad this year Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Isn't that weird? So much synchronicity. Because they're like, oh, we have it. (laughs) Come back to (laughs) Wendy's. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, Yeah. Isn't it crazy? What a crazy day. Yeah. Frank was my favorite part of this book. (laughs) Yeah. Which slogan will he say next? I, I wish I, he would have said he would have said more. To be honest, yeah. But. I remember saying that in you know first grade. Like mm-hmm. I remember people at school saying it. I think some people had shirts. Totally. Yeah. Where's the beef? I'll never forget it. <laughs> Emily, Emily, okay, Emily. Do you remember any like slogans like from my life? Yeah, childhood watching television. Uh, like not off the top of my head, but there are if I think there is an era of slogan where if you threw some at me, I could recognize them. Yeah, but they're not Ooh. like things that I put committed specifically to memory so that I could recall them offhand. Um, you know? uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, Emily, this is going to blow your uh, Marxist mind. So I had a board game that Anne and I used to play frequently when we were kids called advertising the whole point of the board game was to know advertising slogans and you got ahead by knowing more of the slogans of the major brands <laughs> emily's disappearing from her little square on our zoom call and we were both really good at it because we both watched hours and hours of network television mm-hmm. that's deeply upsetting yeah wow but i guess like yeah now slogans like tar- target at tar- with targeted advertising, it's like more insidious. Like you don't need to remember the slogan; it's just like imprinted in your brain through scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Anne, you're you're doing advertising now, basically, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it? It doesn't seem as catchy as when we were kids. No, it's like I think you know, back in the day, it was really to have that one singular tagline that people would just associate with your brand. So it had to be really good and you really had to like market the shit out of it, you know, with like a jingle or a commercial. A board game. A board game, whatever. (laughs) And now there's, you know, it was back then you had some, you only had a few platforms that you could advertise on. It was like print, radio, TV. Mm -hmm. And now with, you know, 
you know, social media and all these digital platforms, it's a much more like even spread of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, like no one really looks at a magazine ad anymore because no one reads magazines, newspapers are dying. So those aren't really, so it's really like Instagram, Facebook, just like streaming services have commercials. Yeah. That's like radio though. Um, and you know, just like digital banners, podcasts, podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone want to advertise anything? Not ours. Call me an Anne. Yeah. Call call me an Anne. We'll, we'll hook you up. We'll take your money. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm busy that day. (laughs) But yeah. So like I am part of my job is coming up with taglines. Um, and I, I don't think I would ever be able to say anything like, where's the beef right now? Would you want to? <laughs> or like even like the quicker picker upper, like these are like very like, like kind of like uh, almost like lyrical things where it's just like, they just sound cool. I have a um, question about the bounty. Did they, did they once change it to quilted picker upper? Like later when they introduced thicker quilted. paper towels? I- I like that Emily's asking this as if we work for Bounty or we're like <laughs> yeah. Bounty historians. I, I, I do not know. You know what? Fuck you guys. <laughs> you, have, you have a memory of that? <laughs> yes, I do. I have a memory of it. So probably it happened. Or, yeah. or it's the Mandela effect. Anyway. What was the paper towel with the man? Brawny. Brawny. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that just shortly. <laughs> Like why so was you were into Brawny? No, it's just like and, wasn't you kind of brawny. like a you're gonna a kissing in a tree? Yeah. Okay. But wow. Like, it's like a lumberjack. Why would see a lumberjack with promoting paper towels? I mean, we could do this. It's like sourcing the paper towel. The lumberjack cuts <laughs> oh, in the tree. It gets made it into. Is? Yes. Oh. It's like to to distance us from the process of manufacturing to make us feel like we're buying, you know, freshly things. cut paper towels. Think, freshly cut paper towels, yeah. Do you think no it's idea. for like like men who like to clean? No. No. It's to appeal to housewives to buy the hot lumberjack on the paper towels. I mean, that would work yeah. for me. Put it like <laughs> put Bart Taylor on a pack of paper towels. On a paper towel and I am sold. <laughs> It's like Bart Bartney paper towels. Let's keep workshopping that one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there, also, did you guys notice in the like last fifteen pages of the book, it starts to get weird? What do you mean? I don't know. Anna Martin threw out some things in there that I was like, "What? The, did she like smoke a joint before she like finished this book?" I hope that so. Seems very unlikely to me. <laughs> okay, so she talks about how. Um, I, okay, Mallory says this. Uh, let me see. It's page 126. And they're talking about the baby hamsters. And she says, okay, Jesse says, maybe we should leave Misty alone. If I were in a cage giving birth to hamsters, I wouldn't want six faces staring at me. <laughs> and then Mallory says, if you were in a cage giving birth to hamsters, you'd be a miracle of science. Okay. That doesn't, doesn't strike you as odd. That struck me as classic Anna Martin. I feel like that's a very Anna Martin joke. That's a joke? Yeah. <laughs> Emily, I'm going to shut up and drink my tea. You go for it. I don't know. And then they talk about Don said, we used to have 
a bird a long time ago. I think it was a parakeet. His name was Buzz. He could say a few words, but the funniest thing he ever did was fly into a bowl of mashed potatoes. <laughs> what? I like that Jesse's response is, Dawn, is that true? <laughs> like, why would she make that up? <laughs> yeah, like, what is going I don't know. I just feel like there were like a lot of weird things like that where I was like, what is going on? Anyway. Okay, as for... Let's see, Claudia's candies. There's quite a bit of mentions. Got potato, potato chips, licorice sticks, M&Ms, Doritos, and popcorn. Mm. Nice. Mm-hmm. And what's your and what's your favorite of those things, Anne? Well, let's see. It's obviously popcorn. No. <laughs> I like M&Ms, but only if they're like evenly spaced out on my hand as not to cluster together. <laughs> And um, or I would go with M and M's or Doritos. As me and Emily are definitely popcorn. Yeah, I love popcorn. Yeah, although potato chips are a very close second. I do love a potato chip. Mm, what's your favorite potato chip? I mean, I'm pretty indiscriminate. Um, I, mm. It's funny. I like. St- I didn't. I didn't really eat potato chips from like college until a few years ago. Like I just, they weren't in my like buying repertoire. Like I would eat them if somebody had them, but I didn't purchase them. And now I like buy them every week. Yeah. (laughs) I really like the ruffle kettle chips with black pepper on them. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Those are good. They're so Um, good. But I also really like a thin chip. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I like some flavored ones. I also like some, some plain classics. Like a, like a classic lay. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. yeah so stuff. ruffles, are you ruffles or lays? Or I I prefer kettle to both mm-hmm. of them. Same. Um but I, but I won't kick a ruff, ruffle or a lay out of bed. They're all tasty. Well, a ruffle's better for dipping. That's for yes. sure. Yes. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lays are better for pouring directly into your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the feeling when you put a lay like on your tongue and then press it up against the roof of your mouth and oh, and can, like, like you taste all the like salt at once. eat it without <laughs> ever touching it to your teeth. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're wading into some weird territory here. I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> all right, tallies. Well, guys, uh, a, a word has pulled ahead as the most used word in the series so far. But, but, but don't tell us till don't tell us till later, though, please. I know what it is. <laughs> I'm going to call it first, like Fox News. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, is this the, Arizo- this is the Arizona of Tallahassee. Yeah. yeah. Bossy has, has doubled uh, be- based on this book. Wow. So it was at 20, and then there were 20. Now, I did use derivations because there was like bossing and bossed in the past tense, um, but they were all describing Christie's behavior. Um, so it has doubled now from 20 to 40 mentions in the series. Uh, so sophisticated holds steady at 20, not mentioned in this book. Uh, shy t- in second place now at 28. Sensitive at 16. Almond Eyes is not yet overtaking Exotic, but uh, the score is 7 to 4 there. Dawn is both an individual and likes health food. That's 11 and 12. Jessie does not really describe herself or Mallory um, mm-hmm. other than that they are alike. Uh and so that's um, and then 17 for babyish. So bossy by far in the lead and definitely used in a negative way in this book. Um, not yeah. in a it, it happens to be slightly way, but uh, as an indictment. What was everyone's favorite weird line? I have mm. just one. 
it is in this section that Anne says where um, Anna Martin started to lose things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, I want to fight for this one. It's where they're all coming out from under the bed, getting snacks. Oh, that's mine as well. <laughs> and Christy says that's so attractive. And Don says, go ahead, my, Emily. My backside is my best side. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite line. <laughs> yeah. I definitely, I have two. That is one of them. So I'm happy to go with that. Great. But my other one was when it's on page 114 when they're thinking of Jesse's thinking of names to name her hamster. And she says, Suzanne is dumb for a hamster. <laughs> that's good. That's also really good. My backside is my oh. best side. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that's definitely what we're going with. I'm, I'm so thrilled. So I, I like didn't have any written down until that page. And I was like, oh, well, this is I'm just doing incredible. Yeah. yeah, but that was included in my Anna Martin is starting to lose it. <laughs> Fair Allie enough. also. Excellent. So good. Oh, actually, I did have one social justice question. Is it racist that the name of the Siamese cat is Ling Ling? I thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it. And where is is the cat like from China? Were they born here? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I really want to know where that was going to go. I don't know. That was a good setup. <laughs> now I'm crying. <laughs> there was a really famous panda named Ling Ling. Yeah. Who was famous in the 80s. So I was wondering if the cat was named after her. But yeah, it just struck me that all their other animals have non ethnic names. Well, well, we don't know about the origin of Snickle Fritz. <laughs> yeah. Wait, the Golden Rage Fever is named Jacques. That's true. That's true. Fair enough. I'm just. Pooh Bear is Pooh Bear not a a bear. And I'm asking you, as an Asian person, is it racist that her name is Ling Ling? You were the final deciding vote on this. No, I feel like it would have been racist if her name was like uh, Kyoko. Oh, because it would be the wrong area. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I think Ling Ling is okay. Okay. Fair enough. Or if it was named like, you know, I don't know, like Kung Pao or something would be bad. Okay. Okay. Because it's actually a name as opposed to, uh, what should we piece of toast to, you guys? Democracy? <laughs> that's probably yeah, I think that's a good one. Today. Fantastic. <laughs> pizza toast to democracy. To democracy. To democracy. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.